So if you are joining us for the first time, we are four weeks into this teaching series called Renewal, Reawakening, and Revival. And so a little FYI, we just started our church. Uh, Passion Church is pretty new to Metro Vancouver. We just started at the end of September. And so we spent the entirety of the fall kind of unpacking who we are as a church and how we'll practice the way of Jesus together, our DNA, if you will. And so if you're curious, if we meet the vibe check for you, you can check our website and catch up on those teachings. And so our current teaching series, Renewal, Reawakening, and Revival, as we're coming into a new year, as we begin 2023 and begin to establish ourselves as a new church community in the city, it's really important for us as a community to understand what it means to follow Jesus. And it sounds so almost like basic and redundant, but um, for many of us, we're coming from different backgrounds, different denominations and traditions and practices. And so uh, getting on the same page of what it means to pray together as a community, what relationship do we have with uh, the scriptures and, and so many of the other spiritual practices is really important for us as sons and daughters, as followers of Jesus to understand together. And so far, we have unpacked, um, what have we unpacked? We've talked about prayer at large. And so starting next week, we're actually going to begin unpacking the six petitions to the Lord's Prayer. Because the one thing that Jesus teaches his disciples is not how to perform miracles or how to preach eloquently. It's how to pray. And so we're going to spend six weeks. Feels long, but it's going to be so good. Uh, So we talked about just a general framework of prayer. We've talked about um, the role of scripture in our lives. Um, For many Christians, uh, we don't actually think about maybe the translation of Bible that we have. And so a few weeks ago, I was sharing with everyone the first Bible that I ever owned. It was called, uh, it was this adventure. Bible that my parents gave to me in 2002. Um, And uh, I didn't actually change my Bible until I got to Bible college where I'm like carrying this kid Bible in the hallways and I'm like, I got to get a study Bible. Um, But having a Bible that's appropriate for our reading comprehension, because there's so many different types of translations, etc. And today we are going to unpack one of the, I guess, crowd favorite spiritual practice, fasting. So you came on a great Sunday to learn about a practice that you probably don't want to hear about because it's going to lead us to some conviction. Um, And so for us as a community, uh, it's important to have at least these three um, spiritual practices as a framework as we begin to unpack the uh, uh, the Lord's prayer as we will begin some prayer meetings in the life of our community. Um, But before we continue, it's probably helpful if I define these three R words. Um, And so the word renewal would be defined as this, an instance of resuming an activity or state after an interruption. Reawakening is defined to awaken someone or something. Revival is defined as an improvement in the condition or strength of something. Um, And we've purposely titled this teaching series the way it is because um, these three words kind of capture the process of what it means to follow Jesus every single day. Um, It's no surprise that living in a a first world context and all of the luxuries that we have in life, uh, it's easy to just be interrupted by a lot of things. We have work demands, we've got family commitments, we have a plethora of all kinds of things, busy, busy, busy. 
Um, and so as followers of Jesus, we need a constant renewal of our mind, a resuming after an interruption. And so for us as a community, as we unpack how to pray specifically, um, because again, that's the one thing that Jesus teaches his disciples. If we can learn how to pray together and renew our minds in Christ, it should lead to a reawakening of how we live our lives as sons and daughters. And as we faithfully follow Jesus in our own context, but also as a whole, that is what leads to revival in the lives around us and in our city. Because often in church circles, we love the word revival. It's a great word. If I were to get a tattoo, I'd probably put revival somewhere on my body. I'm not going to, though. Um, but we pray for revival, but, but revival happens when we are faithful to what Jesus is calling us to. Um, so Jesus wants to partner with us. So as we create space in these next six weeks uh, to pray and allow the Lord to renew our minds, reawaken practices of the way of Jesus, it should lead to revival to those around us. And so as I mentioned today, we are going to unpack the spiritual practice of fasting. And I'm talking food fasting, not fasting Netflix or Disney Plus or HBO Max or whatever 10 streaming services you might have. So allow me, allow me to begin with sharing an illustration that I absolutely can't relate to myself. Um, it's running. Uh, I go to the gym. I don't even do cardio there, I'll be honest. Um, I, I do want to run. Uh, I need to pray about that a bit more, though. Um, but anyone that has maybe done a marathon before, um, I'm pretty sure I've, okay, so no one will correct me as I share some information about running. Um, so a marathon is 26.2 miles. Uh, or in kilometers, it'd be 42.2. And for serious runners, as I have read and studied, um, <laughs> once you reach mile 20 is when it begin, where it really begins to be quite dreadful. Um, because once you kind of reach mile 20, supposedly for those following 6.2 miles, uh, your body is pretty much depleted by the carbohydrates in your body. And so like carbs is our energy uh, derived from the glucose, from the sugar in our bodies. I did one year of nursing uh, and then I dropped out. Um, so anyways, uh, when we reach mile 20, our body is depleted by the carbohydrates. And the only thing left to burn at that point is fat, which doesn't nearly deliver the same amount of energy as carbohydrates do. And so what do serious runners do to compensate for this challenge? Carbo-load. So for any Office fans in this room, you're probably thinking of a specific episode where Michael Scott, kind of the main character for many seasons, eats this fettuccine Alfredo in hopes that it will sustain him in this run, which was the Michael Scott's Dunder Mifflin, Scranton Meredith Palmer's Memorial Celebrity, Rabies Awareness, Fun Run, Pro-Am Race for the Cure. I really like The Office. Um, so there's, there's truth to what Michael Scott is doing here. Carboloading, if you aren't uh, familiar with what carboloading is, it's where an athlete or a runner would eat a lot of pasta or carbs for a couple days prior to a race in order to uh, I guess, quote unquote, top off the gas tank of energy uh, in their body to finish strong. To, to, when they hit that wall at mile 20 for the remainder of those 6.2 miles, they have the energy in the reserve to finish strong. But did you know there's something called super carbo loading? Again, I, I can't relate to this. Um, but this is where a person would intentionally deplete their liver and muscles glycogen. Again, glycogen, uh, where the energy, the glucose, sugar, where our energy is from, is stored. And so they're 
they're depleting all of this from their body, and then they switch maybe a couple weeks prior to the race to a diet of uh, just protein. Um, and as they do that, they're actually kind of tricking their body into going into a starvation mode. And so once their body is in this like very specific starvation mode, it produces very specific enzymes. Um, and once the body starts, and I, there was too much research. I didn't get into what enzyme that was called. Uh, you can Google that yourself. Um, but once this specific enzyme is produced in their body, when the athlete or runner begins the carbo-loading phase, it essentially not only just fills the tank, but it overflows the tank. Um, it primes their body for maximum effectiveness. I can't relate at all. Um, but in one way, this intentional depletion for this athlete, for a runner that primes them for maximum effectiveness is essentially what the spiritual practice of fasting does for us when accompanied to prayer. Um, you know, our, the practice of prayer is like the regular conditioning. It's just like running and stretching and all of the things. Um, fasting is kind of like carbo-loading. It's preparing for maximum effectiveness. And so very quickly, I think it might be helpful to just provide a biblical definition of fasting. Um, it would be, and the reason I say this is because fasting isn't inherently a Christian practice. Like fasting is found in, all, in so many religions. Uh, it can be political. It can be for health reasons. And so here's how we'll define it today. It's a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. And when we look at even some of the other practices, because I think so many people, we shy away, including myself, we shy away from this, uh, this practice because there's a certain sacrifice that is required. But when we look at some of these other spiritual practices, they also demand certain sacrifices. Um, again, whether it's fasting from uh, maybe people or crowds, uh, that practice is solitude. Uh, maybe it's uh, getting away from the busyness and hectic activities of life. That's called silence, right? There's different spiritual practices, but what they all have in common is really a sacrifice in our, in our lives to give to God. And to reiterate, specifically with this practice of fasting, again, I feel very challenged in my own life um, to really begin and engage in this, in this practice. But this is a practice that Jesus himself, the Son of God, modeled and exemplified, which means there is something to it, and therefore we must do it. And so I don't know if anyone's feeling convicted. I've been feeling convicted all week doing all the prep for this. But as I've found uh, in, in my preparations, um, just incredible revelation of what really happens when we accompany our prayer times with fasting. And so Jesus, uh, he teaches on fasting numerous times, but uh, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, um, he says this in Matthew 6, 16 to 18. He says this, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I don't know if you caught it, um, but Jesus doesn't say if you fast, but when you fast. The spiritual practice of fasting isn't a question of if, but when. 
Fasting is equally as important as reading the Bible and praying and being in relationship. But in our Western context, we've kind of like put it behind in some corner where we don't really actually engage with this practice. And as we heard, as as Lynette has read our teaching text this morning, um, the Holy Spirit actually leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted uh, by Satan. But how does Jesus prepare for this trial? He prays and fasts. And so it was the Spirit of God that willed for Jesus to go into the wilderness to be tempted. But it was also God's Spirit that willed for Jesus to triumph over the testing and the tempting through prayer and fasting. Again, if the enemy was able to succeed in tempting Jesus, I mean, the whole church, what we do, our salvation would be lost. And so not even in a low-key way, but in a high-key way, Jesus' perseverance in fasting served an undeniable role in our salvation in Christ. Fasting is a big deal. And maybe for um, the, the followers of Jesus in this room, maybe you've, you've read through this uh, narrative, uh, Jesus being in the wilderness and being tempted. But have you ever noticed the parallel between Jesus in the wilderness and the Israelites in the wilderness, when uh, kind of through Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy? The scriptures that Jesus recites against the devil as he's being tempted are all from the book of Deuteronomy which is when the Israelites were in the wilderness. Jesus' first response, man does not live by bread alone. It's found from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. The next one, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's from Deuteronomy 6, 16. And his last rebuttal, it is the Lord God you shall fear. And that's from Deuteronomy 6, 13. There are so many similarities. Jesus' time in the wilderness and the Israelites' time in the wilderness. In the same way that Jesus spends 40 days in the desert, the Israelites spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. As Israel is tested, Jesus is tested. As Israel hungers, Jesus hungered. Is this just a coincidence? I don't think so. And so as Jesus triumphs over Satan, as we see in in the end of that narrative as he's being tempted, we, as his sons and daughters, as followers of Jesus, we too triumph and we enter into the promised land as the Israelites. But for us, we enter into the promised land that is an eternal life with Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus has given us the access to the same power that has raised Christ from the grave. And I'm sure there are so many of us in this room that, that probably, whether consciously or unconsciously, find ourselves in a similar season, a similar season in the wilderness. And I'm sure there are so many of us that are needing some type of breakthrough in our lives. It was after, for the Israelites and for, for Jesus, it was after this intense and difficult season that actually leads them to breakthrough. For the Israelites, it was a place to call home as the land of Canaan, which was the promised land. For Jesus, it was the beginning of his ministry for three years, healing, teaching, and obviously leads to our salvation. But they were first positioned in a very difficult, challenging, and strenuous season. And I'm sure many of us are in that season today. 
we have to be reminded as followers of Jesus that God often uses our pain to position us and to prepare us for a coming breakthrough. And so what is breakthrough? We kind of hear that sometimes, like I'm needing a breakthrough. I'm praying for a breakthrough in this person's life. What's a breakthrough? Well, here's one way we can understand it. Google would define it as a sudden, dramatic, and important discovery or development. And so for us, maybe it's, it's a breakthrough in your job. Maybe you know, you've been waiting for a promotion. Maybe there's some type of conflict in your work. Maybe it's a breakthrough in the relationships around you. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your singleness. Maybe it's discerning you know, who's the, the future spouse. Maybe it's a breakthrough in your finances. Whatever the breakthrough might be, we're all probably figuring out the season and trying to wait for some type of breakthrough. And maybe we just feel like things have stalled. Maybe for some of us, it might be a breakthrough in our relationship with God. The most important thing to understand about breakthroughs is that they only happen when we first seek them. We're not going to experience a breakthrough if we're just chilling on the side passive. We're only going to experience breakthrough if we first seek it. Psalm 77 verse 2 says this, In days filled with trouble, I search for you. And at night, I tirelessly lift my hands in prayer, refusing comfort. I think for so many of us as followers of Jesus, we know what breakthrough is. We know breakthrough comes from the Lord, but we don't necessarily live that out in practice. I think in in most scenarios in our life, whether it be a minor or major crisis, the first thing that we do, which is very natural to us as human beings, we begin to worry. And then we stay in our worry and we set up camp in our worry and then we build a house in our worry and we stay there. This past week, um, as I was just uh, doing some work at my place, I was a little bit hungry and so for anyone that's been in my place, I don't really have a lot of food a lot of the time in my fridge or, you know, my cabinet. So I opened my cabinet to see what do I have to eat. And I saw that and I was reminded that I had some beef jerky that um, a friend had given, given to me. And so I was like, oh, sweet. Like this beef jerky was like really good. And so like I just grab it. And often for me, when I eat at home um, or just snack, I just watch The Office while I eat. That's just my personal rhythm. Just get a laugh, you know, so. Um, anyway, so I start eating this beef jerky, and I'm like, this kind of tastes like soil, like just kind of tastes a, a bit bad, but I was kind of just like in the zone, I'm laughing, I'm eating, and, I'm, and then I go to take another, another piece, and again, I'm not really looking at it, but my peripheral just catches a lot of white, and so I just like look, and I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, I've just been eating mold, um, and so in that, in that moment, I was like freaking out and really worried. Um, it's, it's not a phobia, but I've, I haven't like vomited for a long time. And I'm just like, I don't want to experience that. So I'm like freaking out in this moment. So I'm like, what can I do? Because I don't want to vomit it out, even though that might be the right decision. So I just drank so much water. And uh, I had like three oranges left. And so I just ate like three oranges. And I was fine. I had some pretty rough uh, bowel movements. But um, for the most part, I was fine. Hard shift. Let me read from Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Worrying is a form of control. Uh, And often for us as human beings, it's part of our human nature. We want to control things, right? When we're not in control, we often feel anxiety. 
And when we worry, what we're essentially, again, as a follower of Jesus, when we worry, what we're essentially communicating to God is, I don't trust you with my circumstances. That's what our worry conveys to the Lord. When we worry, we are acting like orphans. There's a reason why within scripture, the imagery and the vocabulary of sons and daughters is so present, because we have a loving father, our father in heaven. But when we worry, we're acting like we're orphans. We're acting like our father is not good. Our father is not sovereign and our father is not seated on the throne of our lives. If we prayed and fasted as much as we worried in life, I don't think we'd have much to worry about. Mic drop. I feel that. Prayer and fasting is the intentional positioning of our lives to prepare for God to move in our lives. If we want to see breakthrough, we must first seek breakthrough. And seek requires action, prayer, and fasting. And again, to just use that running analogy I used earlier, the prayer is just like the regular conditioning. A regular prayer life, a regular practice of prayer is going for runs. It's just eating healthy. It's stretching occasionally. But accompanying our prayer with fasting is the intentional depletion of, uh, of, of the carbs and, and that's that carbo-loading. Again, it's intense. It's hard. Very unpleasant. But what it is doing is positioning us for a breakthrough for God to move. And like I mentioned, for us as a church, this uh, teaching series right now is, is really serving as a consecration to God because we're a new church. We're figuring things out. There's, you know, a lot of us have just gotten to know each other maybe in the last six months, some last six years. But regardless, we're still getting on the same page. We're still seeking alignment in our practice of the way of Jesus. And so the most important thing for us as Christians, as a new church, is to know how to pray and to be able to pray with and for one another. And so the reason why we've unpacked the practices of fasting, of scripture, and even just a general framework of prayer is for us as a community to engage in these practices together. And so beginning next week, uh, we're going to start midweek prayer meetings, um, one in Guilford uh, and one in East Vancouver. Um, fun fact about our church, everybody lives everywhere. And so uh, we're figuring that out logistically. Um, and so for those that want to participate in fasting, we'll, we'll send an email if you're on our mail list and we'll have some more information on, on the website. There's just a lot that I can't unpack today. It has to make sense for you health-wise. Um, if you've never really ever done uh, fasting, it, maybe you need to start small. Maybe it's skipping one me, me, uh, meal. Maybe it's two or maybe it's a 12 hours, uh, which is what um, kind of what we're setting as like, if you want to do a 12-hour fast, that's essentially three meals. And the, the purpose of this, again, we're, we're going into this depletion. And when we feel the hunger pains is to, again, really what Owen, wherever you are, I see you. I see that hand. Um, anyways, uh, where um, oh, I lost my thought. I shouldn't have <laughs> made a joke. When we pray, we are giving our worries to God, okay? When we pray, we are giving our worries to God. And when we accompany our prayers with fasting, we are positioning ourselves to dramatically prepare for God to move. And so we're hoping as a community that we're going to see breakthrough happen, whether it's a breakthrough from addiction, breakthrough in people's 
living situations, just where they are in life. We're hoping to experience breakthrough together. Again, the practice of fasting isn't a question of if, but when. Um, and so to close, uh, I just want to read what I, in my preparation, I found this quote from uh, this theologian that I thought was really helpful. Uh, it comes from uh, a man named Dr. Don Whitney, a professor from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in the States. And he says this, Like all the spiritual disciplines, fasting hoists the sails of the soul in hopes of experiencing the gracious wind of God's Spirit. But fasting also adds a unique dimension to your spiritual life and helps you grow in Christ-likeness in ways that are unavailable through any other means. If this were not so, there would, there would have been no need for Jesus to model and teach fasting. And so the question for all of us, including myself, is this. What area in our life do we need to see breakthrough? Let's pray. Let's pray.